0: Well, this may be the absolute worst icebreaker question in the history of small groups or dinner parties, but what's your favorite sin? I actually would like you to think about that. Is there a habit or behavior that that trips you up and it hurts you actually, as well as other people and, and your relationships? It might be something fairly obvious like, you know, losing your temper or it might be something more subtle like feeling sorry for yourself or mentally cutting down others or maybe criticizing yourself. Some of my treasured memories are times that I got to spend with the late Eugene Peterson. And in one conversation, Eugene said this, He said, the ministers I know, he was a Presbyterian minister himself. He said, we're not wrestling with adultery and theft. We're dealing with stuff that could end up there 10 years from now. But right now it's the small everyday battles. Ambition, pride, lying, sloth, anger. Eugene said, I can be angry for six months and not no, it's anger. He says, I have half a dozen euphemisms for it, like I'm grieved for this person. And he said, and I lie a lot. Usually my wife or kids call me on it. I over speak unconsciously or I varnish the truth. And I can get by with that with most people for quite a long time. Well, is there something in your life that you're getting by with? Are you growing tired of it is there that's something that you realize man if i let this go this could really actually become a problem for me down the road well then tonight i want to help you enter one of the most powerful but one of the least understood ways that jesus works in your life and in mine it's called the baptism of the spirit and fire for it is it's this high temperature baptism that gives you and me the possibility of real change. With the baptism of spirit and fire, then the power of sins in our lives can be diminished and broken and we can start to become the kind of people we would really like to be. So I, I want to open up for you tonight. What is this baptism and how does it work in our daily lives. All right, let's dive in. When Jesus is about 30 years old and he's ready to begin his life's work, there is already a well-known baptism. And it's hugely popular. It's in water, as you'd expect. And it is being done by John's cousin, uh, Jesus' cousin named John. And in fact, John gets so well-known for the baptizing that he's doing that he gets forever nicknamed john the baptist it says in our gospel reading tonight verse 15 the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if john might possibly be the messiah god's chosen one and john answered them all no i baptized you with water he said basically that's what john does is water that's what he's known for water now the, the people that john's attracting by the thousands are jews and they are used to what's called a mikvah uh, a mikvah is like a formal bath you take in judaism to clean off any ritual impurity if you're an orthodox jew so, so say for example you touched a dead person that's considered ritually impure and so you clean off in the mikvah But the kind of full scale baptism that John's doing right here, where you come confess your sins and then get covered with muddy Jordan river water. That is not for Jews. No, no, no. That kind of baptism in the Judaism of this era is for pagans. It's for the people who've been up at the temple worshiping Zeus, consorting with the prostitutes at the temple of Diana and living that whole Greek or Roman life of pleasure and power. And when somebody converts from that life to the living God, then they must be baptized. But now what John's doing here and why it's so startling and attracting a lot of attention is that he's saying, hey, hey, hey! all of us Jews, we may be chosen people, but we need a total conversion too. We got to change. We need to cross the line into this whole new world. And in this case, it's really a whole new person and here's how john figures out who that person is one day he's standing in the jordan river it's under the hot mediterranean sun the lines are long kind of like at a covid testing site and and john and his assistants and he has a lot of followers called disciples they're all saying you know step down please thank you thank you next and but only for one person does this happen right here verse 21 in our gospel tonight when all the people were being baptized Jesus was baptized too and as he was praying heaven was opened, like torn open and the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in bodily form like a dove now later John talks about what he saw this is in Uh, John chapter 1, which uh, you don't have printed, but he says, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove, meaning gently perhaps, or perhaps taking the form of a dove, we're not sure exactly which, and resting upon Jesus. Now, until that moment, John says, I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest, that's the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus. And so John the Baptist goes on to say, Jesus is the one that God gave the spirit to without limit. Now here's why all this matters for you and for me. What Jesus then does is he takes this limitless supply of God's Holy Spirit that has been poured out upon him, not just to come for a little while, but to rest and descend and rest and remain on him. And he says, come get in my line now, instead of baptizing you in water, I'll baptize you in the spirit. And that baptism is so much better that John has to say this in verse 16 of tonight's gospel. He says, I baptize you with water, but, one who's more powerful than i will come the straps of whose sandals i'm not even worthy to untie he will baptize you with the holy spirit and fire john is telling us jesus is so great i'm not worthy to be a slave who would untie his shoelaces he is that much greater than i and his baptism is that much greater than the baptism i do water's good but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire now what does this mean Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire exactly what it says what John does with water for his followers Jesus now does with the Holy Spirit for his followers. He takes you and me and he immerses us in the life-giving spirit of God. He dunks us under. He saturates us. And what he's doing is so much better because this is not just Jordan River water on the skin. This is the life of God in the soul. And this happens when you and I come to Jesus in faith. One night when I was 14 years old, a, a freshman in high school by myself at home, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. Well, that was Sunday night. And so the next morning, Monday, I get up and go to school and I'm there in homeroom. And during homeroom, my buddy Mike goes, hey, tss, no, I got a joke for you. So I lean over and Mike tells me this dirty joke that he'd heard on the weekend. And I don't laugh. And Mike looks at me with disgust, like, what is wrong with you? And I don't totally know what's going on with me because that joke is one I would have laughed at on Friday, but it's doing nothing for me right now. Right today, Monday morning in class. In fact, as I'm watching Mike's face of kind of irritation and anger at me and watch him pull away, I'm thinking this one's going to cost me. Cause man, you don't just diss the ringleader of your friends but i couldn't help it something in the core of me was changing and john the baptist could have explained this to me if he'd been there he would have said what's happening kevin is that jesus has baptized you in the holy spirit and so now you're feeling yourself drawn to what is holy You see, when Jesus immerses you and me into the Spirit of God, what was not possible for us before becomes possible. Now, I wish we had time for an open mic here on Zoom and we could open it up for everybody to share who wants to. and, And I would ask, what's the Holy Spirit in your life made possible for you that wasn't possible before and knowing you as I do? I have some thought about what some of the answers might be. I think some of you would say, because of the Holy Spirit in my life, that's why I'm able to forgive the person who did that to me. I couldn't do that without the Spirit of God. Others of you might say, without the Spirit of God, I would not have the courage to persist in living the life that I have because my life is not easy. Others of you would say, With the Spirit of God, I am sometimes given a particular inward discernment about somebody that is so spot on and valuable to me to have that level of discernment, which I didn't have before. You see how the Holy Spirit works and makes things possible in your life that weren't possible before. I wish we could talk about that all at length, but I don't have time tonight i'm going to focus i can only focus on this one aspect of being baptized into god's spirit and it's the one that john mentions when he says jesus will baptize you with the holy spirit and fire and fire apparently part of the spirit's work when jesus baptizes us or immerses us into the spirit includes fire and this sounds a whole lot less like a cozy campfire and more like a huge bonfire burning up leaves in the fall. Would you look at verse 17? John says that Jesus's winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the weed into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. <coughs> okay, so a little refresher on chaff for those of you who did not grow up on a wheat farm like me i didn't either the part of wheat that shows up in my cereal bowl and i'm like jerry seinfeld i love cereal is the kernel of grain of course but to get to that kernel of grain they have to get rid of the hull around the kernel it's kind of thin and papery and it's called chaff and you can't begin to eat it it's worthless in john's time the only thing you can do with chaff is just burn it now Today, if you add enough heat and chemicals to chaff, you can actually turn it into ethanol. But that's another story. So John may be thinking, I cannot wait to see what Jesus does. Because with the Holy Spirit's power, he's going to sort the wheat, the good people, from the chaff. The people, say, like Herod Antipas, who not long from now will put John in jail and end up killing him. And so he's thinking God's gonna gather the good people and he's gonna destroy the evil people in judgment. At least many scholars suppose this is what John is getting at. Now, I wasn't there, I don't know what was in John's mind, but if that's what he was thinking, he gets a lot right. At the end of time, there will be a sorting by God, oh yes. And there will be consequences for how you and I live. But until then, and I think this is really important, it turns out that the line between wheat and chaff between good and evil does not run where we think it should. We all naturally think that the line separating good from evil runs between me, good person, obviously, and all those other people who disagree with me or bother me, bad people, evil, obviously. Just listen to people in Congress talk about other representatives. Listen to call-in radio, Look at, read your Facebook feed. But here's where the line between wheat and chaff, between good and evil actually runs. It runs right down through the middle of me. Yikes. You see, I can be humble and I can also be proud. Same person. I can be charitable. I can also be stingy. And my attempts at solving that don't much help. So what I need, what I really deeply need is for somebody with more power than I have to move into my life and gather up the wheat, the good that's there and burn up the chaff, the stuff that's got to go. And what I really need, friends, is a baptism in the spirit and fire. And that's what Jesus makes available to us. Theologian Fleming Rutledge puts it this way and listen to the whole thing. She says, God is opposed to us. He is opposed to our selfishness, greed, idolatry, cruelty, pettiness, pomposity, vanity, and self-deceit. Yet, she goes on, God is for us. He is for us in ways that we can scarcely imagine. Indeed, we could not imagine if he had not revealed his conquering love in Jesus Christ. It is the love that not only opposes all that is harmful in the beloved, but it also has power to make our resistance go up in flames, That's what I need. We all do. So how does this baptism of spirit and fire work in our daily life? What does it look like? What does it feel like? I want to give you just kind of a pastoral sense for that to try to help you enter more fully into it. Well, the first thing I will say is that in, as we attune ourselves to the spirit and fire, we will notice that the Holy Spirit will convict us. Convict us. Jesus tells us when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of its sin. And so it is part of what the Holy Spirit does in our lives that he will point out, hey, 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 Kevin, things in our life now how I experience this and you don't have to have this exact experience is it feels to me a little bit like conscience when the spirit does that because both the spirit and my conscience tell me right from wrong but the spirit is distinct from my conscience and here's why I had a conscience from birth or at whatever tender age uh, the conscience begins to develop But when Jesus baptized me in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit began to teach my conscience and to train my conscience. It's kind of like this. A guy I know named Matt uh, came home one night from work and his son, Reed, was in the living room playing on his Xbox. And so Matt says to Reed, how you doing, buddy? Nothing's coming back because Reed's here like this. okay?" and then he says, "Uh, hey, Reed, did you um, did you clean up your room today? shaking his head, but he's still still looking at the screen and and playing with the console. And so he's like, well, what about vacuuming? Because in their household, Reed's job is to vacuum the house like once a week. So Matt asks him to do those things. And then he goes into the kitchen and starts emptying the dishwasher. In about 45 seconds, Reed shows up in the kitchen and goes, I'm done, dad. (laughs) And and Matt says, really? You finished that quick? And Reed's like, yeah, I did. And, and so Matt looks at Reed and says, buddy, Superman couldn't, couldn't vacuum this house in 45 seconds. Like, no, I did that. So Matt's like, okay, okay, well, let's go look. So the two of them go together and start walking through the living room and there right next to an armchair is a pile of goldfish crackers that looks like somebody dumped it out and danced on it. And that's what sometimes the Holy Spirit has to do in my life. My conscience says, it's all good. I vacuumed. I'm done. Nothing to see here. I'll say things to myself like, hey, that wasn't your problem. That person's just sensitive. You know how they are. But then the Holy Spirit, kind of like Matt showing Reed things that he missed, comes along and speaks to me. And and usually that feels like a gentle, kind of clear voice inside my head. For these things are a little hard to describe but there you go something like you know you were defensive you were actually angrier than you realized because you were still stinging from what they'd said earlier and you hadn't fully forgiven them for that oh some goldfish crackers i missed now how will you and I know, therefore, the voice of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which we want, from, say, self-critical voices in our head? Well, with the Holy Spirit, he tells you the truth, but never there's never despair, never despair. Instead, there's this sense of promise and hope that if I will agree with the Spirit and cooperate with him, I can return to my home in God. Also, when the spirit convicts me, it's about a specific action or thought that I did that was wrong. It's never a sweeping indictment of me as a person. The Holy Spirit has never said to me something like you're worthless. He just says you stepped over the line there. Now, thank God for this work, this firework of the Holy Spirit over time with some training and with some practice, we can actually get better at, at listening and responding to this. For example, one thing I do uh, most nights of the week, not all, is I write, I take one page just about this big and I just write three words on it, thanks, sorry, and help. And under the thanks section, I write a handful of things I'm really thankful for that happened that day. And then I get to the sorry section and I just stop and ask the Holy Spirit to show me anything that I need to know. Now, notice this is me asking God to do the searching. It's like search me, O God, and try my heart. I'm not going on a personal search and destroy mission of myself. Okay. And sometimes the Holy Spirit brings things to light. Now, recently, I look back in my notebook and over the past two months, the Holy Spirit has convicted me of a number of things. But, you know, I'll just give you a couple examples: mentally judging another person feeling superior to them being snippy at Karen. Feeling a lot of resistance when somebody was trying to bring me a word of correction. Now. I'm super glad for that awareness that the Holy Spirit brings, but the conviction is not enough that alone will not get me where I need to go, but thankfully, the Holy Spirit, not only convicts the Holy Spirit consumes. What he points out, he helps incinerate, which is why Hebrews says our God is a consuming fire. And that's good. Over time, cooperating with the spirit, you and I change. Now, in other sermons, I've emphasized the value of the things that we do that help collaborate and cooperate. Maybe we start working with a spiritual director or we get an accountability partner or we join a 12 step group, or we work on in therapy, or there's ways that we can collaborate and change. But tonight, what I want to celebrate is this consuming work of the Holy Spirit. As I look back, you know what, a lot of times, I don't totally know how the Spirit began to make me a little better in a certain area. Or when he did, I just know over time, now I look back and I go, you know what, that's less of an issue in my life than it used to be. Bishop Todd Hunter, uh, our Bishop said on a zoom meeting not long ago, he said, you know, people think I'm a nice guy. And I was like, yeah, that's true. They do think that Todd, I think that cause you're a nice guy, but he said, what you see is actually God having worked in my life. He said, when my brother was killed in Vietnam, I hated Vietnamese people. I hated them. And yet today over time, And after the consuming work of the Holy Spirit's fire in our bishop's life, I think the absolute last word I would ever use for Bishop Todd is hate. He doesn't hate. Do you trust the Holy Spirit to do his work inside you? Are you open to his voice? Are are you responsive to him as he speaks? Well, then I'll tell you what's going to happen is that over time, you're going to stop trying to be perfect and you're just going to live in relationship with the spirit as he brings you ever more step-by-step into maturity and you will start to know growing freedom. All right, let me close with this. One of the greatest writers in the Christian life is the French Bishop Francois Fenelon, who wrote in the early 1600s. And I think he describes this beautiful work and how, what it's like for us and how, how we kind of share in it better than anything I've read. He says this, bear with yourself in your involuntary frailties as God bears. Wait patiently for his appointed time of complete deliverance. And meanwhile, go on quietly and according to your strength in the path before you without losing time and looking back instead, always reaching for what lies ahead. Don't dwell on depressing falls and hindrances. Sorrow over them with humility, but put them aside to press on. Don't look on God as a spy waiting to surprise you or an enemy trying to trap you, but as a father who loves and who's happy to save you. Trust in his goodness, call on his mercy, and don't vainly depend on yourself. That you will find the path is toward true liberty. I just wanna assure you tonight, as Jesus has immersed you and me in the Holy Spirit and fire. If we will live in that ever-present reality, then he who began a good work in you will complete it on the day of Jesus Christ. So let the fire burn. Amen.